Hello, and welcome to Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each week I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is John Verderber. John writes book, music, and lyrics, and was a member of the BMI workshop for several years. His musical, This Union, is currently in development, and he has also written for New York and Time Out magazines. We're going to talk today about musical worlds, conjuring different places through music in musical theater, with a focus on the composer-lyricist Frank Lesser. John, thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So, what was your first experience with a musical? Probably the, the Howard Ashman, uh, Alan Menken Disney films, mm-hmm. and also earlier, the you know Mary Poppins and Pinocchio and so forth. Right. But probably my first experience with a cast album and knowing what a musical was was My Fair Lady. That was the first uh, cast album CD I, I bought. I had, I owned, uh, with Rex Harrison and Julie Andrews. The first Broadway show I saw was Susical, the original production. Uh, I think David Shiner was still in it. Mm -hmm. I don't remember much about it, except I liked the score a lot. Yeah. And I still like the score a lot. Um, I'm happy it's doing well um, and uh, that kids are doing it. It's a really popular show uh, regionally in Stockton Amateur. What is the last great musical you saw? My Fair Lady, even though it was, I, I knew the album, I knew the movie, mm-hmm. but I was so impressed with, uh, and I know that there are differing opinions here, but I was so impressed with how Bart Shear, uh took the show into not just the this Me Too era and made it more Eliza Doolittle-centric, mm-hmm. but also, um, particularly in the movie, Rex Harrison can kind of get a little bombastic, mm-hmm. and um, I... There, there is, for those of you who don't know, a non-musical movie version of Pygmalion starring Leslie Howard, and it's very good, and Leslie Howard is a lot, uh, he's less Rex, he's a little nattier, he's younger, mm-hmm. and the, the, the fellow in, who plays uh, Higgins in this production, I hope I get his name right, Henry Haddon Payton, mm-hmm. is, uh, uh, is, is more in the Leslie Howard vein, and to see him completely fall apart in accustomed uh, tour phase, which is a great number and, and a wonderful piece of writing, but his take on it really moved me, and uh, Lauren Ambrose was, was quite wonderful, and uh, I'm interested to see what Laura Benanti will do with it, and yeah. I, I'm interested um, uh, that he's not going for the, you know, 18 ingenue. I think having someone who's in there, who has more life experience as an actress in their 30s, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's more... Uh, not colors necessarily, but there's but life experience helps that that role I think especially later mm-hmm. in, in the show because there's so much growing that character has to go through. It's quite an arc. Who is your favorite musical hero character and your favorite villain character? I in the in the more serious like R N H shows I don't mm-hmm. think of I don't think of Jigger or Judd or. Uh, as villains, I think the society is more of a villain. So mm-hmm. in a more serious show, I don't know if I have a favorite villain. But yeah. if we're looking at a comic show, I, I love those kind of um, Jack Cassidy type, you know, very vainglorious kind of guys. Like I cut Mr. Kodai and she loves me. Uh-huh. I also love a kind of 
like, not he's a villain, but he's he's rather lecherous character. Mm-hmm. The uh, the uh, Oscar Jaffe in you know, the twentieth century, and uh, certainly Gaston in mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast. Right, um, right. Uh, Milos Gloriosus and Forum, so those kind mm-hmm. of characters. Yeah, I think society is mm-hmm. more of a villain in in uh, in shows with bigger themes, but certainly mm-hmm. musical comedy, those kind of Bud from. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're we can like those villains and have a good time with them because they're comic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, hero character, my favorite um, character in a musical mm-hmm. is Mrs. Anna and the King and I. Mm-hmm. I think that there are many ways to play that part. Yeah, and I think that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're taping this uh, soon after Marin Maisie unfortunately passed away, mm-hmm. and uh, I was very lucky to have seen the last performance of King and I mm-hmm. that she gave at Lincoln oh. Center, and uh, it's more poignant now talking about it than before. But she was very different than Kelly O'Hara, yeah. and they were both very different from Deborah Carr, and I imagine different from uh, Gertrude Lawrence. My mother favorite character is mm-hmm. Sally from Follies. Oh, yeah. And, and Ben, speaking about villains, I mean, Ben <laughs> it, Ben is, is a bit of a villain, yeah. and uh, I think he's a fascinating character. What about him do you think makes him a villain? I guess some of the stuff he says yeah. is really horrible, but we're talking about society being the, the overarching villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got caught up in a, in a post-war society that mm-hmm. perhaps he couldn't... Um, Control. Although, again, he was he was so focused when on uh, one thing. He's such a one-track mind. When he was, uh, you know, uh, younger, he thought nothing of building relationships with Sally or mm-hmm. his eventual wife uh, Phyllis. And uh, he just—I don't know if he's necessarily a villain, but he's certainly a an, a character that I think. Uh, you know, you think of someone like Billy Bigelow making someone uncomfortable. But I think Ben would make someone uncomfortable now. Yeah. And. and uh, not not in an overt uh, sexual or violent way, but right. but in a psychological way. And he's really mm-hmm. quite fascinating. I've yet to see somebody do it, other than what I've heard and seen a McMartin doing it, mm-hmm. uh, who's quite as uh, both lecherous and distraught. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, that's 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 my take on Ben. I just think he's a terrifically interesting guy. And he breaks yeah. down at the end. He yeah. ruins the follies. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's true. It's yes. all him. What musical has made you cry the most? Oh, Carousel, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a show I'll defend. Um, I understand where a lot of people in this day and age are coming from. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't think a, I don't think, I think A, we have to put it in the context of 1945 in a mm-hmm. way. Um, I also, I think that it was disturbing to people in 1945 too. Right. And I also think that, you know, having a husband get killed in the middle of the second act after, or after, well actually opened right before the war ended. But mm-hmm. it, that thinking of, you know, uh, war widows and, and yeah. people that have lost, uh, you know, sons and uh, husbands and, and boyfriends, etc. Yeah. So that must have been rough. But I don't, I don't think people condone that kind of behavior in 45. Uh, if they did, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think Oscar Hammerstein was. Right. I think a song like "What's the Use of Wondering" mm-hmm. is is a song that you could hear sung, you know, on Tuesday on the Maury Povich show. I don't know if it's still the show, but I think it. <laughs> but I think it's it's you, you ask women who are in relationships like that, yeah. why, and that's kind of their answer. You know, not not in a song form, obviously, but that, <laughs> but um. But could be. But could be, yeah. yes, if it was a musical episode of Maury Povich, <laughs> a jukebox version. Um, 
I just think what it says about parent-child relationships, about forgiveness, about the repercussions of a kind of the, the little person versus mm-hmm. the Mr. Snow who becomes a kind of driving economic uh, force in the community about piousness, about you know, churchy people, you know, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I think it says a lot. Um, it's, it, it's, and the music's gorgeous. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, there's things you can't, like, if I loved you, I've always felt that song. There was an undercurrent of doom in it. And I, I couldn't, mm. I couldn't describe, I couldn't describe how I felt about it for years. And because I think, but it's not a, it's a lovely ballad. It's beautiful. But there's something sad about it. And I don't think you can articulate it yeah. through as much music theory as you go through. It's just, it's there, and I finally was able to articulate it about three years ago. It's an undercurrent of doom. So let's move on to our topic, which is what you call uh, musical worlds, um, which you had described as conjuring different places through music. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll start with just kind of more of a description of what you mean by well, musical worlds. It's obviously, it can be a contemporary setting, I suppose. Our musical world of what we're uh, living in right now would mm-hmm. would be very different from uh, the the world of uh, Oklahoma mm-hmm. or uh, Sound of Music or Cabaret or whatever. Yeah, it goes beyond orchestration. It's it's the kind of harmonies. It's it's the kind of musicology. The kind of melodic line. It's it's a it's a kind of sense. Let me use a composer other than Lesser. Let's let's use Frederick Lowe as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, just Brigadoon is mm-hmm. a different musical world than Paint Your Wagon, and that's very. Uh, those are those are very divergent uh, types of shows. One is Scottish, and one is in the Old West. But let's take two shows that take place in England: My Fair Lady and Camelot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, very different po- time in, in 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 England. But it's not the same kind of show music that you'd hear out of on the radio, like a Damn Yankees or a, or a pop sound mm-hmm. of that period. Eliza's song in My Fair Lady, for example, mm-hmm. uh, Without You is, at the end of the show, mm-hmm. is per- is perkier and there's more, there's more of a briskness and a, uh, there's more of an Edwardian flavor, I feel, mm-hmm. to that song than Where the Simple Joys of Maidenhood. Which feels almost like a kind of madrigal kind mm-hmm. of kind of feel, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, even you know, the, the the master of this, the two masters of this are Sondheim and Candor, I mm-hmm. think. In and you know, I think they're guys who do a lot of certainly Candor. I know does does a lot of listening and a lot of listening of the when he did Cabaret, for example, of of German music hall and German uh, you know um, mm-hmm. popular song of that period. Yeah. you know and. It, 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 but it goes beyond orchestration. You you can tell that a song like uh, "So What" or, mm-hmm. or and the last song that Frau Schneider sings, "What Would You Do," is different from a song that would be in Zorba or mm-hmm. Chicago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So is it like um, kind of using the time period and location? Yes, to yes. Like and it can get very absorb, specific. Like yeah. the kind of. Um, Melodies that are kind yes. of in the culture at that time and harmonic language. Yes, exactly. And, yeah, true. Um, harmonic language being like, if how would you describe harmonic language for those who don't know music as well? There's a crunchiness. There's a 
there's a Germanness, there's uh-huh. a there's a minor second to the vamp in Wilkeman and Cabaret uh-huh. that is very different from a more Mixolydian uh, feel in Zorba, from yeah. a more uh, Greek, I say open, but a more open feel in Zorba, mm-hmm. or certainly Happy Time, and and certainly Chicago. Uh, there's more syncopation, let's say, mm-hmm. in Chicago than yeah, than than that. So uh, like. Um, I guess kind of like what what chords they're chords, using, yeah, what chord how you use it, how, how you use it, and and I, I intervals, yes, and, and and melodic lines. It's just a matter of character too. Yeah, I mean, you know, a character like uh, uh, now let's go on to Sondheim, a character uh, like the Elaine Stritch character of Joanne and Company mm-hmm. is obviously going to have a a a terser a sharper, a more staccato, a less flowing melodic line than, let's say, uh, Vosca and Passion mm-hmm. to, uh, to bring up a, a later show. Right. Or even, uh, even uh, I don't want to say Desiree, because Hand in the Clowns is clipped, or at least it should be, yeah. than Anne in Night Music, let's mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, even taking out time period, just, yes. like, characters. Yeah, who, who is this person? I mean, yeah. I, I think if... if um, you know, the Joanne character were here, she would, singing for us, she would sing differently than, uh, certainly than, I'm sorry to think of somebody in a similar age bracket time period, she would sing differently than Sally, let's mm-hmm. say, in Follies, or, um, or uh, the, the, the character, Mrs. Lovett, I mean, of course, that's a, there's a British musicalness to that too, which yeah. is a style, but that's, she sings differently even even when even in a in a ballad like wait mm-hmm. um, which is which is more flowing but it's different than uh something in passion or something uh something uh like sorry grateful or mm-hmm. something more yearning you know yeah yeah um a question i have which um i guess goes with the kind of location aspect uh, of musical worlds uh, is do you think if shows are setting their, uh, you know, the location in a certain period, in a certain, uh, a certain time period, a certain location, that the music should be reflecting that time period? Or can you, like, set a show somewhere and then have, well, I guess, like, Spring Awakening, it, like, have the music be something completely different? It's an aesthetic thing. I've seen it work. I uh-huh. think it works in Hamilton really well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I... It's an aesthetic thing. I, I personally, I'd ra- I'm more interested in doing research and listening and doing exploring different kind of musical sounds. Everything kind of follows everything else. So, yeah. I, um, so you, you can have a contemporary feel to something or be influenced somehow. But for me, I, I, it's more interesting to take contemporary things you've listened to, take classical, and, mm-hmm. and kind of try to fit that into the time period more so than doing as Spring Awakening did. Um, you know, just rock songs, which is, you know, fine. And it mm-hmm. worked for that show, too. Yeah. And it works for Hamilton. It's an aesthetic thing. It's a personal choice, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, I guess, talk about Frank Lesser, who is going to be our focus yes. For, yes. This, uh-huh. for this topic. Uh-huh. So um, why did you pick him? Uh, oh, because I love him. Because to... no, he's, <laughs> he's just a great writer, and yeah. I think a good example of this. And his, he didn't, he died rather young. He died in 1969 at uh, 59 of mm-hmm. cancer. So, and he didn't have a, terribly long career or at least a, a prolific career yeah. as, as someone like a Rogers or a, 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 a Kander or, or even yeah. a, a, 
even a cult, well, but that's an earlier era cult order. But but Homelika mm-hmm. like Rogers did. Um, yeah. You know, Roger and Hammerstein wrote something like I think nine shows over seventeen years, something like that. Yeah, so that's yeah. quite a quite a lot. So Lesser only wrote five that got produced, and two that one closed out of town, and one went unfinished. But of the five mm-hmm. that were produced, they're very different. Yeah. Even when they take place in the same city. Where's Charlie premiered in 1948. Oh, I forgot that about was, uh, And it's, it's based on the British farce Charlie's Aunt. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of British straight feel to it. it there's not a lot of jaggedness to it. it, yeah. it you know, there's a lot of marches. There's a right. lot of... Um, even the, the, the main kind of jaunty comedy number, uh, Make a Miracle, the duet between the, the two of them, mm-hmm. it has kind of a duck. Kind of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. feel to it. It's a Gilbert and Sullivan-y kind of feel, yeah. I think. Someday they'll have horseless carriages that fly. Horseless carriages that fly. Horseless carriages, and someday they'll be roaring all about the sky. Spinning up slogans by a hat hogan. But who knows when that age of miracles will come to be? So meanwhile, darling, make a miracle and. The big number everyone remembers from that is Once in Love with Amy. Oh, right. And that has a kind of music hall feel to me. Mm -hmm. And certainly when the actor who played the part originally, Ray Bulger, did it, it's he would ask the audience to sing along. Uh-huh. This this was because he forgot the lyrics one day, <laughs> but on um, one matinee. But it became part of his you know shtick yeah. during the run. So that's kind of a a, a, a musical vaudeville kind of feel right. joining in. So you know, in in the case of that spontaneous uh, memory lapse, it, it helped the show as well. Yeah. But but the music itself has a kind of vaude- British vaudeville feel. In love with Amy, always in love with Amy, ever and ever sweetly your romance her, the trouble is the answer will be, that Amy'd rather stay in love with me. rather stay in love with me. The musical world of that, you would kind of describe I think as... he knew what he was doing in terms of in terms of Britishness. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's a very uh, narrow kind of uh, frame of reference just to say Gilbert and Sullivan, but, mm-hmm. but you know, if you're going to do that kind of British thing, especially, I think it takes place in the 1870s or 1880s. Guys and Dolls was the next one. Guys and Dolls was, was next. That was 1950. There was always a little Nathan Detroit, I think, in Frank. Uh-huh. He, he came from a, you know, family that, they were German immigrants, and they mm-hmm. were very into concert music. They were mm-hmm. very, they, they, his brother, half-brother, Arthur, was a, a piano, a very good pianist, and he ran the music department at the Cleveland Institute, and they frowned upon Frank being a kind of a, uh, a wheeling, dealing, Tin Pan Alley guy, and later yeah. a popular music composer. So I, I think he, there was always a little of that uh, wheeling, dealing, schmoozing, uh, you know, and when Nathan Detroit and the young Frank, um, mm-hmm. then he finally, you know, didn't have to worry about where he was going to have the, the crap game per se. Right, But right. But I think Guys and Dolls, in a way, was a perfect show for him, mm-hmm. and a perfect show for him to write in that period, mm. uh, because... 
you know, he when he was a Hollywood writer, he did write a lot of uh, pop, you know, stuff for the movies and stuff. Yeah. And a lot of the Guys and Dolls songs, uh, because it takes place in 1950, in what was current day, can use those forms and mm-hmm. can use. There's a there's a pop, uh, you know, a hit parade sound to some of them. At least mm-hmm. judging from the way they're performed on the cast album mm-hmm. uh, originally. Um, but he uses a lot of influences and. He writes like a, that weird art, it's a wonderful piece, that little Arioso, My Time of Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was always trying to reach, uh, in each new show, I mean, in the next show it kind of got went to the extreme, but uh, of something not quite a song, but something not quite an aria. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but there's a, there, there's a earthiness, there's a grounded sound to that, to that score. It's mm-hmm. kind of like... Uh, Kind of like going to, uh, you know, a, a deli, getting a pastrami sandwich or something. <laughs> when you see a guy reach for stars in the sky, you can bet that he's doing it for some doll. When you spot a John waiting out in the rain, chances are he's insane, as only a John can be for a Jane. When you meet a gent paying all kinds of rent for a flat, that could flatten a Taj Mahal. Call it sad, call it funny, but it's better than even money that the guy's only doing it for some dog. And also it was the first time that he used one of his uh, uh, homages, pastiches, mm-hmm. parodies of a kind of religious sound uh, as in yeah. Sit Down, You Rock in the Boat. Right, and then he you was have famous the... for doing that. You have the Hotbox Girl songs too, which are like oh, which which are very much uh, your hit parade yeah, and like very much uh, a certain uh, style. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a perfect score of its period, and it's it's a great way to for him to use the song forms he loved, mm-hmm. still experiment. I think a song like "Marry the Man" today is even a little offbeat in its yeah it's yeah. an interesting song yeah I'm always fa- people I, I was telling somebody I really like that it's one of my favorite songs from the show that yeah. and more I cannot wish you said those are the two you pick <laughs> over oh luck be a late oh luck be a late is a great song yeah but um marry the man today kind of has like a darkness to it <laughs> yes it does it's it's almost a conniving this is yeah. how we'll win this is how the, right, the ladies like, with we the gotta just win. lock this yes down exactly yes <laughs> um yeah, so it's a it's a different to compare it to how to succeed in business. Yeah. jumping the you know the gun a little bit. Right. How to succeed in business also takes place in New York, but whereas in Guys and Dolls is takes place in, you know the the east the the West Forties in the, the mm-hmm. Broadway district, it's in the business district. district. Right. It's Madison Avenue, and it sounds that way. It sounds metallic. It mm-hmm. sounds like caviar. It also could be the pop music change over that mm-hmm. 10, 11 year period. Because um, I was thinking, I was listening on, on the way over to uh, Been a Long Day from that mm-hmm. show. I'm like, well, I guess that could be in Guys and Dolls. I mean, it, it's, it's inventive as anything yeah. that, that he did before. Um, you know, it, it has a Marry the Man Today kind of, you know, uh, contrapuntal feel to it. Uh, uh, but there is a difference, there's a shininess to that score yeah. and, a, and a mechanical energy to it that feels like. Uh, a, a, not a fax machine. I don't have those. Not a typewriter, a mimeograph machine, uh-huh. something like that. So uh, yeah. th- there is a di- there is a difference between New York's in how he creates right. songs. There is a brotherhood of man, a benevolent brotherhood of man. 
giving each brother all you can. Oh, aren't you proud to be in that fraternity, that great big brotherhood of man? It does have like a gloss to it, like that. Well, Guys and a, Dolls doesn't have it. Yeah, and yes. it's well because it's also like kind of a satire. Oh, it certainly yeah. is. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so it being a satire, like has that kind of like wink wink wackiness to <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Where Guys and Dolls is not a satire right, at it's, all. It's which is why I think it's so endearing to people still. Right, right. Where perhaps how to succeed isn't. Yeah. Where Guys and Dolls certainly has you know, there are there are male female dynamics in it that are different than today, but because yeah. It's so endearing. I don't think it bothers people much. Yeah, and Guys and Dolls is, is very earnest, I think. Yes, and that's aside from earthy, it is earnest. Yeah, and it is, and it comes across in this in the songs in the score. Yeah, certainly. yeah, because um, yeah, how to succeed? I mean, there's very nice songs in that one too. Like, uh, oh, but they're they're all. I mean, they're they're all sarcastic. Yeah, I, mean, I believe you, in you. <laughs> I mean, that, <laughs> he did. He, that was a Burroughs idea. Frank oh, Lesser yeah. wanted it to be the big ballad, and if you notice in the movie, Rosemary sings it to him in a very earnest kind uh, of. Uh, she believes in him way. Yeah. So I guess in the movie version, Lesser got his uh, got what he wanted. But I don't think I, I I love that he sings it to a mirror. The cool, clear eyes of a seeker of wisdom and truth. Yet there's that slam, bang, tang, reminiscent of gin and vermouth. Oh, I believe in you. I believe in you. Most Happy Fellow, let's talk yeah. about that, which is, I've been dying to, it's my favorite show. Oh, nice. That's, that's part of it. I just, everything's in that show. Tony sends Rosabella uh-huh. the wrong fella's pitch. He sends Joe's uh, picture. Yeah, yeah. Yes, to, in, you know, the good looking guy to, to get her, to lure her to come. What that show tries to do in, in terms of little songettes, in terms mm-hmm. of, it's nothing's quite recitative, it, it's not really an opera, combining. Mm-hmm. Popular form, yeah. you know, hit, you know, Broadway stuff, and and classical stuff, and just uh, talking about music and musical worlds and capturing character. Yeah, it the oh, the establishing songs are the best examples I can think of of character writing between Oh My Feet, mm-hmm. which has a a, a, a lumbering. Uh, mm-hmm. She's so tired, and you yeah. feel that in the music. Oh my feet. My poor, poor feet. That your life always returns her pain. I've been on my feet, my poor, poor feet, all day long today. You feel the yearning. The the, the there's an earnestness to Rosabella yeah. or Amy, as we find out later mm-hmm. in in the show. Um, her original song was much darker and more from the gut musically mm-hmm. and, and more in a minor mode but they rewrote it to make it simpler and to make her more which song is that uh, somebody somewhere i'm yeah, sorry okay, yeah. it's more more approachable um and the most happy fella introduces i mean it's a tarantella mm-hmm. tony's italian so why not and his joy his yeah. his high spiritedness and then there's joey 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 which mm-hmm. is just a stunning song to me yeah, i think because yeah. this guy he's kind of creepy he's sexy he's appealing to women 
at least to, to certain women, certainly to Rosabella when she comes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm certainly she thinks he's appealing when she gets his picture. Yeah. Um, he's a wanderer, he's a drifter, and there's that feel in that in the mm-hmm. music. And uh, it, it's just it's a remarkable piece of piece of writing and it, 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 the orchestration helps and Lester did not do his own orchestration because that's all the great Don Walker using mm-hmm. kind of low reeds and using the harp in, in, in certain passages mm-hmm. but you know he, Lester did write the song and it's, uh, it's a, I think it's a pretty stunning piece of work Waitress. He's mm-hmm. a jocular, jovial kind of, you know, yeah, friendly yeah. guy. And standing on the corner is a, you know, and, and there's mm-hmm. a bounce to his music. He yeah. has a song later on called "I Like Everybody," uh, which is, you know, it's uh, that's exactly it. He does like everybody. Right. And there's a jo- there's a bounce. There's a, you know, a funness to his music. Yeah, yeah. Would you say also that is it taking from time and place as well the music? It's interesting. I think the the play it's based on was written in twenty. Or twenty-five, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it still takes place in that period. Yeah. I'm assuming it. There must be little references I'm I'm forgetting right now that that um mm-hmm. that remind us that it is that period. But I think it's certainly place. Certainly the music sounds when we get to uh, the vineyards up up north. Certainly it has yeah. that uh, feeling of 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 exotic outdoorsness, and, yeah. and certainly he's Italian, and so it has a kind of. Uh, Romantic, uh, Puccini kind of feel to mm-hmm. it. So I think it's more character and place more so than time. Uh-huh. Although there is kind of a Dixieland band thing in Big D, especially in the dance arrangement. Oh yeah. But um, I I I wouldn't know. I wouldn't go so far as as time as something like you know by a Frederick Lowe or a, mm-hmm. or a John Cander or something. Yeah, yeah. In the, in, in the case of Happy Fella. So by um, kind of like Puccini, like. Evoking the the place, do you mean like like long lyric? Yes. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Oh, certainly. And just uh, yes, the long lyric line, the kind of uh, you know, it's a song like "My Heart Is So Full of You," the big love ballad Uh in the second act is not lyric heavy. Mm -hmm. Even it's less lyric heavy than "If I Loved You." It's "My Heart Is So Full of You, So Full of You." There is no room for anything more there, and that's the that's the (laughs) chorus. Yeah. And so they just repeat it over, and that's something you. There's not a lot of text in a lot of opera arias. They're just kind of a lot of melismas and stuff, Mm -hmm. and he kind of gets to the point. So that I think is a. is an, is an opera, Italian opera influence. Yeah. Although, I mean, it says, he says a lot in a little. Yeah. And so that could be it too, and Lester was big on that. So, um, but I'm, I'm a big, that, that is the, that, that's another show that always makes me cry. I, mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful story of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the fact that she is impregnated by Joe and that he agrees because he, they've come to love each other um, to have the child, even though Joe's kind of jilted her and jilted the farm and stuff, it's it's just 
it's, it's a new lease on life for both of them, particularly him, but yeah. really for her too to start over f from being a kind of hard-ass cynical waitress, you know, to, uh, to really falling in love with this very gentle, um, simple man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very moving ending for me. So, and then there's the... Well, Green Willow, Green Willow. Was, a, was, a, was, a, was a bit of a disaster. <laughs> the thing of Green Willow is a wonderful CD to listen to. It's a wonderful score. Yeah. I mean, he uses songs as he does in Guys and Dolls, but there are a lot of little My Time of Day mm -hmm. snippets in it, um, more so than in Ants Exceed that came after. Yeah. But I think the, what Green Willow, it works as a CD, as a, as a score, listening to, as, or even at encores, it would work. Yeah because we're going for the score and for the, the music, and the music does evoke a kind of mysticalness. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the book, that's why I think it failed. Yeah. I don't think we can tell, is it a Brigadoon uh, kind of place? Is it is it Scotland or Ireland or something like that? Or is it in the, in, I, I know at one point they were thinking of, of setting it in like a Nashville kind of setting. Hmm. So is, is it the, the Appalachian, is the Tennessee Valley? Yeah. And they both influence the score, which is kind of interesting and fine, but from a dramaturgical standpoint of watching the show right. from beginning to end, I think it really confused audiences. Mm -hmm. I think um, the novel was so, which I've read, is so non-linear mm -hmm. that, um, in that, at least in that period, they couldn't figure it out. Also, I mean, Lesser co-wrote the book um, you know, with, with another guy named Lesser Samuels or something, I know mm -hmm. something like that. But um, he didn't have an Abe Burroughs. He didn't yeah. have a, a Joe Stein or a you know a, a book writer, or a playwright right. of that period. He also was the producer. Oh, he really wow. he was a megalomaniac. He really wanted to. <laughs> he 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 had his own little music you know uh, rehearsal room, mm -hmm. harassing Tony Perkins, getting him to sing louder and louder. Yeah. So so it's it was it was a lot, and not having the strongest. Uh, hook uh, in terms of turning it into a theatrical piece mm -hmm. rather than a song cycle or a novel yeah. kind of failed it I think and uh, it, it was a it was a flop but, mm -hmm. a, but a great CD to listen to great um, so those are the five yes they're also I mean we have a couple of time to talk about pleasures and palaces was a show he wrote uh, that took place in Russia. Mm. It was n he was not proud of it. Mm -hmm. um, it closed out of town. I think that that helped yeah. him not be proud of it. Right. So I, I don't know much of the score except the title song in a recording by Lena Horne. And then he did a show that he was working on right before he died called Senor Discretion himself, which is a Mexican, uh, it's a Spanish themed score. Mm. So he was interested in different kind of yeah. cultures, different kind of musics, and really, uh, you know, got got into it. And he was so. I mean, he was so um, interested in going his own way. I think yeah. that's why I like him so much. He, yes, he could have taken piano lessons right. and music lessons, but from his brother or from his, you know, in the, the, the way you know you do. But he, he learned music himself. He, yeah. by the end, looking at some of the manuscripts of Senor Discretion, he was starting to orchestrate, hmm. and that kind of fascinates me. How this guy went from, you know, playing, you know, on like on, you know, with you know, Six Fingers, Praise Lord, Pass the Ammunition, the first mm -hmm. real hit he had out of the war, uh, yeah. music and lyrics. He started off as just a lyricist. Uh, to Starting to write on big, like, Leonard Bernstein's score paper, that kind of really impressed me. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I don't know what would have happened after, it's stupid to talk about it, I think, but there was more in him, and I don't know, I, I, it would have been interesting to see right. how the... Uh, the Sondheim Prince era had a, would, would have affected him. He was yeah. a big fan of Sondheim's, um, and he was a big uh, proponent of a lot of younger writers, Jerry Herman's, uh, 
has talked about it, Adler and Ross. Um, so he was a great, uh, stim- he was stimulated by, I think, younger talent, mm-hmm. and I wonder, he did not like hair. He was not <laughs> thrilled about rock uh, music coming into the theater, but I think, I, I wonder if he would have, you know, uh, thought, oh, maybe, you know, who knows. Right. He After did die he rather young. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so you mentioned he was, he started as a lyricist? Yes, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and he, you know, obviously continued to write the lyrics. And we talked, we mentioned lyrics a little bit when just talking about, like, minimal lyrics in a song. But yeah. as he is also the lyricist, what other kind of, I guess, does the lyrics uh, help create the musical world as they, well? They, well, certainly they do in terms of specificity, in terms uh-huh. of, is it, would that character sing that or would they not? Right. But I, I lesser coming from, I think, a Tin Pan Alley, Irving Berlin background uh-huh. and also movies and also writing for songs from the movies that would be played on the radio yeah. and sell a movie. If you, you know, he repeated titles a lot and mm-hmm. not in an annoying way. If you look at a song like I'll Know from yeah. Guys and Dolls, he repeats, you know, the, I'll Know, the, the title of that song passes by a lot, mm-hmm. is heard a lot and yet there's still a, in their verses, it's still very much them. We still learn about them. So I think he understood how to drive a hook, uh-huh. and drive a title home, and yeah. really uh, uh, make good use of it. Well, let's move on to our Why Is This So Good section. Oh, good. We're going to talk about the song My White Knight from The Music Man. So why did you pick this song? Um, I re- I'm a big fan of The Music Man. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Barbara Cook. It's interesting that this is the character's I want song, mm-hmm. and yet it the, the next number is the Act One finale, and I just think mm. that's so. You know, we're, we're you know when you go to programs uh, and and you read books and you you know you, you, there are so called rules, and there are certain right. things you have to I think hold on to or keep in mind. Mm-hmm. But usually, what works works, and yeah. somehow this works. And getting to know Marion later in the show, yeah. and having her open up more later mm-hmm. in the show. Uh, is really it works for that show and, and yeah. moves an audience and has moved an audience for many years now. Yeah, yeah. I never thought about that. Like that, it does. She does have that kind of arc to us yes. as an audience. That, I mean, I guess because it's mainly from Harold Hill's point of view. Yes. Yeah. So uh, when he meets her, like she's like he doesn't get everything at once. So we're then. Like, but she's also very tightly wound. Yeah, yeah. And also we have to like, we have to, he has to get us to like Harold Hill because right. he is a con man and we have to, you know, over the course of an hour and a half, I guess we do get to like him. Right, and, right. And, you know, she is easier to like because she's a more, uh, she's not a rogue. There's a reversal. One, you know, at the end of mm-hmm. the, at the end of the um, first act, the, the Wells Fargo wagon yeah. comes in and Winthrop finally gets his cornet and she right. sees the first time her, you know, young brother is very happy. Right. And I think even though she's opened up emotionally mm-hmm. to us, I don't know if, if she were to sing this song later on, she would still want a plain man, a modest man. Maybe not as plain or as modest. I think there's mm. a little, she kind of is taken with his adventurousness and his yeah. roguishness. And Barbara Cook said that a good Harold Hill has to be sexy and that Robert Preston was mm-hmm. sexy and that's what makes the, that's what makes Marion come out of her shell. But mm-hmm. it is, it's a song that was originally, I don't know if you know this, there's on the Barbara Cook 
Carnegie Hall album from the 70s, mm-hmm. there was apparently this very this, this very long patter section similar to the Sadder But Wiser Girl. To, oh, and it, it was originally her kind of response to his song, and it, you know, that happened a few songs earlier. Uh-huh. And it was a long you know, number of all the things that... Uh, she she doesn't want, but then she then she but she sings in a more uh, a clipped uh, faster pace. All I want is a plain man. That yeah. whole release section there, um, but I don't know what what convinced them to do it. But they compressed it and they made it a ballad and they mm-hmm. revised it and it. I think perhaps the first version made her come across as. Difficult mm-hmm. and 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 persnickety and this open by having her open up more. Yeah. It's just a pretty ballad. And it's great to hear Barbara Cook sing. Right. But um, you know. Yeah, I think just generally audiences or you know people don't care what you don't want. They want to know what you want. Yes. So if you're singing about what you don't want, it's yes. kind of a turnoff. Yes. Um, to that character. I hadn't thought of that too. That's, yeah, that's very the, succinctly put, but that makes sense. I think a lot of people. Th- can make the mistake of thinking that that's a type of I want song. Yeah. That it serves that purpose, but it wouldn't. She talks about, you know, the images in the song, Alas, a lot, or, you know, uh, uh, Please Dear Venus, Show Me Now. Now, They're kind of images she probably read in books. Right, right. So she, they still keep in mind she's a librarian. I mean, beyond the fact that she mentioned Shakespeare and Beethoven, but, you know, so that she's well-educated. But there's a, there's, Still, that still foreshadows a kind of a dreamer uh, feel to her. She's still a little bit of a dreamer. My white knight, not a Lancelot, nor an angel with wings, just someone to love me who is not ashamed of a few nice things. I always found it interesting that she says, if he would occasionally ponder what makes Shakespeare and Beethoven great, him ah. I could love till I die. Like, it's a yeah. conditional statement. Like, yeah. does she, is that like, well, if that's there, that's great. I'll love him till I die. But yeah. it doesn't have to be there. I mean, I won't love that person yeah. till I die, but I, I, would go, I would do it, you know. It's just like sometimes you miss that because the way, at least the way Cook phrases it, mm-hmm. and if you kind of, it, it's very, it's it, the and is yeah. So yeah. maybe if the the rumor is because this dovetails a little bit to Frank Lester, the rumor is mm-hmm. he wrote it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true because Meredith Wilson reprints the 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 lyric and the original lyric that was longer and mm. a laundry list of things she doesn't want in his book. Um, unless you know Lester got a, a cut of the book, but Lester was one of the guys who convinced this. The radio mm-hmm. uh, composer and film composer Meredith Wilson yeah. to write this show about his boyhood in uh, Iowa, yeah. and he was one of the co-producers. Mm-hmm. And I, my feeling is Lester probably went out of town and said, "What you just said, who cares about what she doesn't want? Right. You know, right, focus the song, make it make it a ballad." So yeah. that's where I think that story comes mm-hmm. from. Because she's always like, "I want, I, I would like him to be more interested in me. I would like him yeah. to be this. I would like him yes. to be this." And if he were this, that would be yes, good too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Um, it, I guess because I guess because Shakespeare and Beethoven pop out right out. Do you think? Well, you know, she she's looking for someone who's uh, who's well well versed in in the uh, 
in, yeah. in uh, literature and music. But yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. Well, then she like makes the statement, like, yes, him yes. I could love till I die. I think it's a little Tristan and Isolde, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. Because it's a little confusing, because, yes. like, why... No, it's not a perfect song or a perfect yeah. lyric, but it's a really interesting one. Yeah, well, it's like, why yeah. is that conditional? Yes. And, like, what does she mean by that? Yes. In that, if he did this, then I could... Like, is that still a requirement? It's almost like... I want. I would like him to be this. I would want him to be this. He might not be that. No. Like I might meet someone who's who's not her, that. Her her pragmatism might be showing a little yeah, bit too. Like yeah, like it doesn't. Yeah. Like I have. So maybe this, there like, is something that appeals uh, that Harold Hill that appeals to her. Yeah. He probably doesn't know Shakespeare or much Beethoven at least. Yeah, and like she has all these like the imagery in it is yeah. so like, well, it's not a Lancelot or yeah. an angel. It's yeah, like it's just a, this. She's, a, she's an interesting character. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, would she sing that, you know, after the 15-minute intermission and the, the reversal of, mm-hmm. of um, wanting, you know, uh, you know, a nice cottage in Iowa to maybe, right. uh, you know, to being attracted by what this man is. Although I think, right. I think it's, it's, I think they save each other in a way. I think yeah. it's, they redeem each other. And he might give her adventure, but she gives him stability mm-hmm. and uh, and focus and moral yeah and love um, so. yeah because yeah. he's definitely not an honest man <laughs> uh, I mean he's you know, not neither straightforward I yeah. mean he's, he's, he tends to talk it's a very standard kind of mm-hmm. uh, romantic Broadway musical yeah. feel that period but it does have a, 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 a an aria feel to it so, yeah. also because it's written for a you know soprano right so, so I mean that is yeah, and it what, does. What interests her musically, clearly because of Beethoven, and, you know, she's not listening to, uh, you know, uh, ragtime. And, and musically, there's, like, there's different sections, like the My White Nights in the mm-hmm. beginning, yes. and then it comes back at the, the end. The tempo changes, yes. And in between, there are, like, three different It's a really styles, interesting... Like, the All I Want is a Plain yes, Man, yes, yes. All I Want is a Modest Man, mm-hmm. and then... And then there's a, and I would like him to be... It's like it, these... It gets very... Um, declaratory, declamatory statements. But it's like a... Parlando kind of speaking style. It's really, mm-hmm. really an interesting. Yeah, it gets um, quieter, and then yeah. it starts to get quieter, and then it's it has like to the, build up. Yeah, if occasionally he pondereth, and then it, it like builds up again to him. I could love to. It's, I die. it's also that great, you know, kind of uh, trope, especially of, of that period of you know, mm-hmm. you're singing the song. I'm singing. She's singing the song to me, or to you, right. but she's singing it to her mother. Yeah, and then she steps downstage, and I guess the scene changes. The scrim uh-huh. comes down, and she's kind of you know out yeah. of her. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, if you like, just kind of look at the form of it. It's um, like A B C D A. Yes, D-A. yes. It's very, very, a being very. The yeah. My White Knight verse. Uh, I just always thought this is just a whole. You know, there, there are two A's, and then this, this is, is like a this really is just, long B that goes yeah, in a lot of yeah. different places. Uh-huh. All I want is a plain man. All I want is a modest man. A quiet man. A gentleman. A straightforward and honest man to sit with me in a cottage somewhere in the state of Iowa and I would like him to be
She has Good Night My Someone, but that's such a generic kind yeah. of sentiment. Um, and it's not extraneous or anything. I mean, it, right, it right. Make, I, I think it, it's in the show for a purpose. Yeah. But this is more her. That's just kind of her. That, I mean, I guess I could see. I could see that being her a step. I guess we get to hear her sing really. Right. For well, the first I could time. also see it being an I Want song because um, even though she doesn't explicitly say I yes, Want, yes. She's, she's acknowledging that she would like a someone, I guess. Yes. Yeah, there, are, there are two establishing I Want numbers in that. So again, you have, yeah. you have two of them. Who, you know? And it works. Right. So but, I mean, I feel like with, her, yeah. I mean, she has a lot of other stuff going on. It's yes, not just yes, like yes. this love stuff, but yes. like through like Good Night My Someone, My White Knight, and then the Till There Was You, yeah. her someone just comes more and more into focus. Like in the beginning, wow, it's yeah, like yeah, a uh -huh. someone. Uh -huh. And then with this uh -huh. this song, My White Knight, it's like, what, she, here, it, what it is. here's exactly what I'm thinking more specifically. Yes, yes, yes. All I want is uh -huh. the, a plain man, a modest man, you know, all that yeah. stuff. And then you get to Till There Was You, it's Harold Hill. Let's move on to our final section, which is called Something Wonderful. So just anything upcoming, anything we saw recently, something that's current that we're excited about, want to plug. I'm really looking forward to the production of Oklahoma at St. Anne's yeah. uh, Warehouse. I typically get a little nervous with not just environmental staging, yeah. but like rethinkings, especially of, you know, but I love the... Barrow, Sweet Sweeney, Street Sweeney Todd. Uh -huh. You know, Oklahoma's a show that I think would benefits from new interpretations. Mm -hmm. Because it's certainly, you know, it's 75 years old this year. And also, so it's, it's old enough. But yeah. it's such an American-spirited show. And there are new ways of looking at the spirit of mm -hmm. America. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. Please rate this podcast on iTunes, subscribe, share it with your friends, and like our Facebook page, Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode, the final episode of the season before we go on holiday break. <laughs>